Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Elden Ring of Extreme Metal Podcasts. Yes, I have it now, and yes, I am playing it. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. I was never a big fan of As I Lay Dying until I found out that Tim tried to get his wife murdered. And after that, I was like, oh, these tunes are pretty good. <laughs> and I am the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. Uh, power stancing quad morning stars in Elden Ring. <laughs> Is that a new game plus? You get four arms. You know? Yeah, you just sort of spin around. It makes um, navigating you spin the around even until more you, difficult. You, you spin around until you run out of stamina and get just wrecked. You, you know, just like from my experience so far, I'm not super far in, but. I, dude, running out of stamina almost never happens in this game compared to older Soulsborne oh, stuff. Oh, really? Oh, That's, yeah. I mean, are I'm you doing a. You're not doing Dex, are you? No, I. I mean, well, Dex doesn't increase stamina anyway. No, no, it doesn't. But you might put points into stamina. No, I'm playing a. I'm playing warrior. You know, I'm. I'm two handing an axe. You know, real yeah. manning that shit. Just rolls, no blocking whatsoever. And I'm almost never running out of stamina. It's like surprisingly generous compared to a lot of the other games. Yeah. I feel. It. It seems I don't have it yet, but you know, I've got to get a fucking game system. But uh, it. It seems. It seems like a great game, but it definitely seems like they made it easier. You know, fucking horse as well. There's definitely bosses that are as tricky as anything else, Mm -hmm. but I would say in general, it's like, okay, we're trying to reset. We're trying to make this a little bit more approachable Mm -hmm. for the average person, which is, I mean, that's fine. You know, me and my. That's totally fair. It's kind of like the way I, I would see it is it's like a band does like, I mean, God, the guy made like the different iteration he works like a black metal band right yeah since demon souls he's made four different although i guess he wasn't really doing ds2 but there have been four different versions of the same kind of game and each of them like extremely rigorous and minimalist and demanding and it's like it's it's like okay you've mastered your craft now you're finally gonna make you're gonna make a record with all the big epic riffs on it and a massive production, and everyone's gonna love it. It's like, fine, you earned it, man. Yeah, it's it's not a cold lake; it's a monotheist, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> it, oh, yeah, exactly. No, no, it's a it's a it's a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, monotheist is all bangers, man. Oh, monotheist is monotheist is the best Celtic Frost album. That's, <laughs> that like, actually. That actually might, in terms of what I've listened to the most and is the most objectively enjoyable, that might be true. Yeah, I, I also got it, to see them like touring off that album, which the was riff incredible. Structures on Two Megatherion are crushing, but the production really, uh, it just, it just makes it less fun to listen to than it could be. You know what I mean? Like if yeah, you watch yeah. photos, video, if you watch shit of them playing live, it sounds obviously better you know oh yeah i mean you know all those guys around that era were suffering from having to deal with rock producers you know that that makes sense because if they just kept the hellhammer they probably thought the hellhammer production was terrible but if they'd kept that Kelly Bros would have been heavier oh, you just wish everything sounded like hellhammer you know okay i well <laughs> you got me um so um speaking of um uh black metal insanity um we've got a pretty uh we got a pretty gnarly show for you guys tonight um and it is the first time in the history we're we're gonna be going in um we're gonna be going from the really inaccessible 
to the somewhat more accessible to the somewhat more accessible over the course of the episode. And for once, the Gore Grind record is the most accessible record. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's uh, a, a very strange setup tonight. This is a, uh, you know, we've been covering a lot of records lately that are kind of bigger records that maybe people are familiar with. This is uh, maybe the last gasp for a little while of just shit that is totally unintelligible to most people. You know, I feel like we're both having pretty sort of stressful weeks and it's uh, um, I'm feeling very hostile. So this show reflects it. <laughs> um, well, what um, have you what have you got to start us off with then? All right. Well, uh, we're going to open the show with the return of a, uh, you know, early te- of a late OO's early teens blogspot legend with uh, Ahulabram. Um, I this is the sort of shit that I was aware of, but didn't really listen to back in the day. Um, that is because to me at the time, black metal was. Um, about, you know, demons with swords and Vikings with battle axes and demons with battle axes and Vikings with swords, right? It had mm-hmm. to be about those things. And Ahulabram was about UFOs. Yeah. <laughs> and UFOs and, like, cryptids, like Mothman. Um, and, you know, to me at the time, it scanned as, oh, well, this must be kind of a just deliberately goofy, weird gimmick thing, blah, blah, blah. But um, it's... And so it wasn't, I, I didn't seek it out. Um, but this is the kind of stuff that Cosmic Hearse in particular helped popularize. Um, that then, um, but it, it really was this very niche, insane subgenre of black metal, right? But, you know, now that everyone's fucking, like, listening to... Now that Grausamkeit is a canonical Norwegian second <laughs> right? Um, you know, the the hour of Ahulabram has rolled around at last. Um, and, uh, you know, I was... I was int- you know, obviously my, per- my sense of what black metal can be is, you know, broadened considerably. And, you know, it's also funny that I never checked out this band because I've always been really into cryptid shit. Yeah. Um, so... This, uh, so, that yeah, there's been a new run of releases from this guy, um, and I was drawn to this one in particular, because, uh, um, I've been listening a lot to an excellent sort of folk anthropological podcast called Big Fo- Sasquatch Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the show before, but highly recommend it. It's just a dude, a regular dude, interviewing the hundreds and hundreds of people who say they've seen Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, uh, so I've had that on the brain and this has a big old Sasquatch on the cover. <laughs> um, and it is titled strange lights portend their presence on nebular carcoma records, um, on tape, of course. Uh, and I saw this posted on the rights of pestilence channel. Um, the arid is posted, was posted. He did the first YouTube upload of that too. That's the next thing we're covering. Um, and, uh, it's a it's a good channel. I think in terms of, I should plug plug his channel in the sense that like I think he consistently uploads stuff that I really like, like probably more than any other one channel. Anyway, um, this, so what this is is uh, the kind of black metal so noisy that it's not on metal archives, mm-hmm. um, and never has been. Um, 
And uh, people, I've seen people saying that this is the harshest thing he's ever done. Uh, and the interesting conceit of it here is that he's taken the electronic aspect of it very seriously. So there's guitars, there's keyboards, but every percussion sound you hear is a sampled Bigfoot woodknock. <laughs> which is this is a let this is supposedly a thing they do they knock on they make strange knocks on trees as a mode of communicating um and people record these sounds and sometimes attempt to communicate with them by making wood knocks right which can lead to some goofy shit but people claim they hear weird weird shit people claim they hear very big beasts banging on trees <laughs> and um, and so Woodnocks and the vocals are all sampled Sasquatch howls and a sampled 911 call from a very confused man in Kitsap Peninsula, Washington, neat i mean it's so far that stuff that i would expect from like a, a 2000s like cdr thing mm-hmm. um but i mean it's cool i mean i like noise and i like black metal so yeah. <laughs> i mean it's it, it's neat i mean i do appreciate the and we'll get into this a little bit more when we get to the next record i really do appreciate this new wave of like raw black metal so i i guess ahulabram isn't new but you know what i mean yeah, uh, yeah, but but this wave of raw black metal stuff that is coming out that is not uh, raw tape black. It's two uh, thousands yeah. raw CDR black. You know? Th- that's something that we'll return to. Yeah, but like in we on the show we've spent a lot. People have probably heard us complain about quote unquote raw tape black and the idea that the term raw black metal has become kind of meaningless, right? Yeah, take yeah. some can take some candy riffs and some uninspired. 
uh, maybe some un uninspired dissonant fumbling and just put an artificially remote echoey production on it and call it raw, right? Uh, yeah, just throw the distortion patch over the master channel in your DAW. Yeah, um, and, you know, like, and put some, like, colorful co cover on it or some shit. Um, but, um... <clears throat> But, like, yeah, so we're unimpressed by what that term means these days, but both of us really liked stuff that was called raw black metal back in, like, back in the day, right? Yeah. It meant something very different. This is what absolutely what that meant back in the day, <laughs> like, to the extreme. Um, it, it wasn't cool. It was antisocial and profoundly eccentric, right? Um, and, uh, and very aggressive. Uh, and, yeah, so... What do you make of the 911 call also? Did you hear what, it, did you hear what was going on? Uh, bits and pieces. Um, I, I do like what you wrote in the notes. So wait for when the dispatcher says, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. I picked up on that. That was great. <laughs> it's She's continually trying to say, like, wait, this is a person? And he's like... He, Not sure. Yeah. No, you know, it's like this weird sort of thing where neither of them can admit that they know what they're talking about. Yeah. The guy who's seen it is like, if I tell her I'm seeing Sasquatch, she's never... They're never going to send a cop out here. Yeah. Big guy. He's like six foot uh, something. Um, and, and he's probably trying to say he's eight feet tall. Um, and uh, the... You know, um, and and she she like wait so it's a person and then she says because she goes like uh-oh she knows what he's seeing <laughs> but neither of them can say it <laughs> oh man that's a that's a great call dave um but anyway so yeah well, i mean one thing he does is he titles he makes it kind of like a searchable index of strange encounters so his song titles always gesture to a specific sighting or event or very often do so you can like look up the kids at peninsula sighting um but now we've got uh um another representative track we're just going to do short very short samples from two others uh this one is um artzuri forest demons This is constructed a lot more like noise music. This is definitely on the noise side of, of the black noise thing. Yeah, you can kind of see why it's not on oh, oh, metal archives. Although I think the old records did sound more like black metal. I think this is supposed... I, I mean, I'm just basing this on... Uh, uh, Rites of Pestilence says it's without a doubt one of Indrid Cold's most bizarre and formless endeavors, almost stripped down of its raw black metal elements and getting into pure noise and ambient. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this is this is one of the most noise things he's done. Yeah, um, I, I can see that because this resembles more like 
sort of like ritual ambient meets harsh noise stuff that I've listened to. Yeah, if there's anything that's kind of like, do you... This was a thing that I remember. I, I think I'd probably like it more now. Do you remember the brief buzz around Wold? Uh, yeah, Wold was Wold was a lot more sort of like digital and contemporary in a way, though. Mm. Like, so do you think, so these sounds are, you mean as opposed to just like weird, uh, like blown out Casio sounds? What do you think this guy's using for his production? It says guitars, keyboards, and vocals and drums. Do you think most of the noise is guitar noise and like keyboard distortion? Well, there's, uh, so, I mean, just from listening to these little samples, okay, so there's like probably one or two quote unquote riffs per sample, and they're just like two ugly chords grinding against each other. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're so blown out with distortion that it doesn't really matter at a certain point. Um, And then, I mean, so he's, uh, you've already said, okay, so the percussion is like the wood knocking and the vocals or samples from Sasquatch. So most of this is based off of sampling more than playing traditionally. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I think this is in a lot of ways more of a a noisy texture exercise than it is you know songs as we think of them on the show. Oh, for sure. Yeah, the riff on this track was. <laughs> Could yeah. you hear the wood knocks? Oh yeah, like, yeah. I couldn't really make them out distinctly when I first listened to this because I thought the wood they were going to be turned into blasting. But it's actually this like deeper sound that's behind the fuzz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, and it's not really there to, it's not there to provide a coherent rhythm. They're just yeah. kind of like copy pasted almost at random. Yeah, you know? it would be kind of cool if one had made them into um, drum sounds, but I think the idea is to actually more evoke <laughs> the sound of hearing them in the woods. Well, if, if you want that, then you go back to Tomb and Retaf Ruo, and you get that. You know. <laughs> Word. Well, um, finally, um, we've got a slightly diff- somewhat different mood uh, and texture. And I, I, this one has, I think, more audible uh, squatch sounds on it. This <laughs> is um, September 1st, 1973, Youngstown, Pennsylvania. Wasn't that a Bruce Springsteen show? I think so. Yeah, I think that's uh, where I was conceived. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think so. These are samples from that Bruce Springsteen show. Kind of the most musical. Why did you like it? 
Oh, just as like a, as a guy who probably listens to more like noise and power electronics than you, it, it's well, like for sure you do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you see, I never, I'm never sure because it's like you listen to all this like industrial stuff that's flirting around the edges, and it's like you know. Um, but as far as, as listening, we've to, like, said before, together we cover all industrial based music <laughs> to like different. There, there's like delicate places of overlap and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really like. Um, so like like wall noise stuff is not something I'm that into. I can appreciate, you know, interesting textures and sounds and stuff, but ultimately unless you're very autistically focused on that sort of thing, it gets dull for most people. But I think when, it's about live the live show. Yeah, and stuff. and live that shit's really cool. But listening to it on record, it doesn't do anything for me. But listening to this, it's like, okay, so we've got cool textures, cool tones interesting rhythmic stuff the weird channel switching between left and right i really like a lot yeah i it's just it it gives me a little bit of that vibe of like okay so we've got a noise guy but he's got a kind of broad palette of ideas that he's working with it's Mm -hmm. still fundamentally like noise music but the way it's executed is not just mersbo type stuff right you know yeah, yeah, the channel switching is cool. It's like Woodnox from the left, Woodnox from the right. Time to leave. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's um, the uh, um, if as far as stuff, the kind of industrial or noisish stuff that I listen to. The, the, you were right to say the ritual industrial type stuff. This does sound, especially this this track more than the other two, sounds like Ten Horned Beast, um, mm, where yeah. he's making a lot of the music is based on like deliberately wandering anti-musical bass drone mm-hmm. like there's sort of changes in notes but it's it's like sun but like a lot freer and um there's all this other industrial stuff happening around it um so this is kind of like that just big blown out bassy string textures plus this kind of textural overlay but this is way way raw yeah yeah certainly um and i like um i i I like the okay so like i was saying earlier so you really read this more as like noise and electronic music than black metal however there is a core of you know even as primitive and simplified as it is there is a core of sort of black metal riffing across these songs Mm -hmm. it's sort of like the most primitive mutilation riffs or something um and you know what they say about men with big feet, right? Big riffs. <laughs> Hi, this is Taylor from Crushing the Scepter, and you're listening to Terminus Podcast. And we are back from talking about DMT, DXM, and uh, contact with an indifferent beyond to bring you uh, arids from anthropophagic waste breeds a writhing mutagenesis. God, I mangled that. Do, do you want the, uh, the gore grind guy to pronounce it for you? <laughs> gore grind guy, go. From anthropophagic waste breeds a writhing mutagenesis. There you go. That one it took me by surprise, man. I thought I'd be able. I thought it'd be easy, and it wasn't easy. Um, it's um, but yeah. 
So that's um, that's out on Death Hymns, which is a label we've recently mentioned. Uh, because we've covered, we've covered a few things from Death Hymns over the past like year or so, right? So we just did Gates of Dawn. What other stuff have we covered from that? Man, I, w- I would have to go back through the notes, but I feel like, was the uh, Gerda Blulu a, a Death Hymns? Oh, oh, probably. Okay, so that makes sense. This is just one. So I was good. the next thing I was going to say that is that this is a Danny Filth tier patron request slash recommendation, and it's from one dude, Desert Plague, who has also uh, requested the Gates of Dawn and the Gerda Blulu. So he just really likes this label. Um, and, uh, he wanted to hear what we thought of this one. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I, I said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll check it out. Um, yeah. And this, and- this was weird because I had actually stumbled across <laughs> this on YouTube and I had kind of like earmarked this mm-hmm. to put on an episode where we needed like a ringer because I thought it was mm-hmm. interesting. So we both arrived at this without knowing that, you know, yeah. and it's really good. <laughs> yeah, I think we both like this one a lot. I like this one a lot, dude. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm definitely gonna repeat listen to this. This is, um, uh, you know, I think we would both consider this pretty fun. Yeah, it, it, it's fun, and it's also like legitimately sinister in oh, the yeah yeah yes it's very it's very serious music that ends up also being highly uh kinetic and engaging um it, it manages uh, to so be yeah. it manages to be mosh pit music you know <laughs> yeah for sure for sure so we'll get into that so this is we we brought it up already with the ahulabrum right but i guess a theme for that and for this is our uh you know, love of the old raw black metal as opposed to the stuff that's popular now. And this is a perfect example of that. Um, what this has is, um, you know, the old raw black sound has, uh, you know, how would you describe... So the, the guitar tone on this record, right, is sort of... Um, you know, the Norse bands, the necro sound, you could describe as aggressively dead, mm-hmm. right? You'd sort of scoop out, you scoop the mids, but the guitar tone is still up in front, uh, solid. It has this kind of, um, this kind of hungry buzz to it or this cutting edge to it, right? The yeah. cold edge, right? This, the early 2000s, like raw black sound is, it's it has more in common with the necro sound than with whatever fucking modern raw black tone is like. Yeah. But it's it's distinct in part because there's more white noise. How else would you describe it? This guy, this guy's guitar, he's sort of not just scooped out mids, but it really the way it's per, his tone sort of puts the timber up front and the tonality in the back. I would say, like, as far as the stuff we're talking about, like, 2000s raw black stuff, the kind of CDR shit, I've always associated the production style with um, doing raw black metal with the earlier kind of consumer available or, like, metal consumer available uh, uh, digital recording. Um, So those, like flat, ugly distortion tones, those like DI tones mm-hmm. um, that they kind of, in a sense, turned into a style of its own. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so there is there is no depth. It's a flat plane of tone and noise. Um, 
I, I, I think this guy in Arid kind of embraces that. Obviously, it's better produced. There's uh, more of an idea here. But you definitely get the sense of like, oh, you know, those CDR guys back in the day. It's like, let's just stack three of these like like included distortion plugins with our, our digital audio workstation on top of each other. And let's just play through that. You yeah, know? a thing, you know, I guess a thing you could say is that, you know, you could say, OK, the necro sound is different from nowadays stuff because it's loud. Uh, this stuff is different from the necro stuff because it's extremely loud. Um, uh, and yeah, has much more. I think fuzz is a like something that's not orange amp fuzz tone, but harsh fried white noise fuzz. Uh, that fri- is a distinctive fried is a really good word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For this whole um, style, really. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, lots of just it's um. Everything is in the red in a way that it's not necessarily on a Dark Throne record. Um, uh, as far as musical paradigms for this whole network of stuff, one, and, and for this band in particular, one would be Dark Throne, but Dark Throne not as the fun, punky uncles or as the Transylvanian vampires, but Dark Throne as a really serious, minimalist, avant garde band. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, like, last two tracks of Under a Funeral Moon and A Blaze in the Northern Sky minus all the fun parts. Yeah, minus Under Um, the Shadow of the Horns, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no cowbells, no uh, mosh calls. Um, (laughs) Not that, I mean, those parts are great. We all love those parts. But, um, you know, uh, this is the parts of A Blaze in the Northern Sky that if you'd heard it in 1992 would have made you fall out of your chair. Yeah, um, yeah, this is very influenced by that kind of frenetic energy, a black metal that is not distinct from grindcore, and that's a very central thing on this record. It grinds really hard throughout. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we've um, in terms of other big reference points for this, uh, I think we've we've both got some old classic bands we could throw out there. I mean, I think we both hear this being connected to the Rusty Axe Records bands. Oh, absolutely! Um, like yeah. this is this is closer to Rusty Axe than almost anything I've heard in the past ten years. And that was in a that was a sort of American raw black label that had a bunch of kind of really vicious bands with a redneck aesthetic. Um, yeah, well, they were they were out of like Southern Virginia, and they mm-hmm. were just. It was just like it was just like fucking asshole music, you know. It was yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. it was yeah. just like mean and sadistic and way too blown out. And it was just it was awesome. It was like yeah. a, it was a point in time that you can't get back to. You know? Yeah, the band I, I, I a time when um you know people who now like raw black metal avoided it. Yes, um, exactly. It's, uh, um, they wore gas masks um, and, and and camo pants, um, and they had a and their second album was entitled "Hung Again Like a Bitch." Oh, oh you're thinking of Raw Hatred, that band? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I forgot to name the band. Yeah, that yeah was... Raw Raw Hatred is the one I listened to the most. Oh man, season. I I remember talking to Andy from Rusty Axe Records. He had sent me a back patch from Raw Hatred. So how how's it, how's this for like old school? Well, you know, fake old school uh, yeah. metalhead cred. He sent me uh, at one point, you know, we were trading shit back and forth. He sent me a back patch of Raw Hatred. And uh, 
He said, yeah, uh, only like uh, 10 or 15 of these were made. Uh, the guy who was doing these patches ended up murdering his wife, so they're just like done. So take one of them. Jesus. Yeah, it was that vibe. You know, yeah, and this is, you know, it's like not, not, not to be like cool guy or anything, but back in the day it was just like, Oh, that's fucked up. All right. Whatever. Sick. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that, that was what it was like. Um, you still have that patch, man, dude, I've been looking for it. I don't know where it disappeared to. Cause I want it. Cause I will yeah. make a patch fest just to put yeah, that yeah, on my fucking yeah. shit. But, uh, no. So yeah, rusty axe records, um, my to get stuff to my that was stuff that was super punk but not in a way that the punk scene would want anything to do with right it so was it, it was, was extremely punk at the time but i think that would be unrecognizable to people now yes and extremely punk in terms of the approach and the spirit rather than like having punk parts that you could take apart and you could say the same thing about the arid there is nothing there is no over none of the things that if you hear a nowadays band drawing on these strains of Dark Throne or trying to do really, uh, really loud, raw black metal, the the closest thing I can think of would have been, um, off the top of my head, would have been a pretty good band from the Vrasu Batlat scene, who I really, it's not a scene I like a lot at all, but there was a very good sort of stompy raw black band called Urzite that was that... And but they had all these punkisms in it, right? They they had like this sort of you could hear the the stompy mysterious guy stuff and the cross stuff throughout it, and emphasis on the parts of Dark Throne and whatever that sounded the most punky. This kind of stuff we're talking, this record we're reviewing, and the kind of tradition we're referring to, all of the punkishness is just in how the music is played. Yeah, just just loose and ugly. You mm-hmm. know, it's. Mm-hmm. I, well, I I want to touch on a couple things before we get into samples. So, it, so the first thing that I want, so it, I kind of uh, talked about it a little bit with the Ilabrum. Um So we've got this new wave, in a sense of like pseudo old school raw black metal, mm-hmm. sort of like a almost. It feels almost like a response to Instagram raw tape black. Yeah, I think so. It's, I think it's dudes our age or maybe a little bit older who are like sick of this shit. Yeah, who want to do shit that's actually ugly again. Not just, you know, pretty with a filter of ugliness over it. Um, so, uh, I, we've listened, we've we've played a few things like that on the mm-hmm. show over the past year or so. There was the Gerda Blue record, which uh, Desert Plague also uh, had us feature. And then there was that, uh, what was that, uh, A Vial of Putrid Hockle? That was that EP by, who was that again? A uh, Vial of Putrid Hockle. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, that's Odious Hiss. Yeah, Odious I Hiss. really yeah. liked that one. There was yeah. Odious Hiss. So we, we've listened to those, and there's probably one or two more that have trickled in. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those things have been cool, but my the sort of question underneath it for me has always been, okay, these are cool tones. These are cool ideas. These are cool sounds. How do we get, like, a real band out of this, you know? Mm-hmm. How how do we get something that creates a platform for more stuff, you know, that isn't just kind of an exercise in the way that maybe a, a noise record is or something? The answer is this album. Um, this as far as this style goes, this is the best thing we featured on the show. I'm going to listen to this more in the future. Uh, I'm really excited to see what this guy comes out with, you know, 
after this. Um, it's these are real songs. Like this is not just a a sort of stylistic exercise. These this is a band. You know, I know it's just one guy, but you know what I mean when I say yeah, that. yeah. It's a one. It, yeah, well, that's an impressive thing. It's a one man project that sounds like an actual band, right? Uh, yeah. You have two wolves living inside of you. One plays guitar. The other plays drums. You are an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) And and that might be part of what makes this really cool is that I I think I I suggested it in the notes, but I think I've I've come to the conclusion this is a drummer band. Oh, absolutely is. Let's talk about that after the sample because it's a drummer band that's hashed, that's, uh, not like the other drummer bands. Yes. Um, ah, man. So, 
just to underscore how sick that was, that was actually two tracks. Um, that was all of Sculptured Corpse Artifact into Black Hematomesis. Um, Sculptured Corpse Artifact is the one with the very, maybe like we heard two riffs, very continuous chord wall riffs, tremolo chord wall stuff. Very, um, very dissonant. Um, one thing that separates him from disso black bands is that in this tradition, you are not using dissonance to generate quote-unquote atmosphere, a.k.a. nothing. You're using it to generate force. You're, um, you're using it to generate riffs. Yeah, yeah, and that too. Yes, they are riffs. Um, uh, the, the riffs work like power chord riffs. They're just hideous power chords. Mm. Um, uh, the next track basically is the the one the first one is basically the build to the next track um black hematomesis is like the release to sculptured corpse artifact and in in black hematomesis is once it's when it locks into this uh sort of insane looping cycling uh series of riffs like the one i was just humming there um and i think what he does is he he lays on a bunch of blast beats, and then at the end of the phrase, the dinga 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 dinga, um, it it it's it's basically like he's playing a really fast D beat for just like half a bar or something, mm-hmm. um, uh, and it it's really it so it creates this like pulsed beat that's really dynamic, and there's just intense compression and then driving ahead, intense compression. And then just banging your head between two walls. Um, it sounds nothing like Confuse, but it really reminds me of Confuse. <laughs> um, uh, well, it's because oh, you're you're hearing a uh, you're hearing a drum performance that has not been quantized to death. You know, it's so cool. Yeah, there's a part in the middle of the Black Hematomesis where like it seems like he they he skips a bar or something and just speeds up arbitrarily i think i was talking face. to you when that happened i was like there's a really cool sort of a uh, snare kick inversion that happens mm-hmm. there very briefly it's like this is a guy who's a uh, a very good drummer I, I don't know who this guy is i'm guessing that he plays drums in other bands cuz he's just like he must be coveted I, 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 because like the vibe that I get is like, okay, this is a sophisticated drummer and he has a raw black project and he does these songs in like one take, you know, because mm-hmm. these feel like single takes these songs to me. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I think it's a, a really good guy, uh, like a really talented guy on drums who, um, does like a single good take. If there's little mistakes, he leaves them in, but overall he's just, he's better than most of the guys attempting this. Yeah. And so the nature of drummer band, this is, um, right. Like the, um, normally we use the phrase on the show to refer to like a drummer decides to do everything himself. And so he creates the kind of music that would be really fun for a drummer to play hypothetically, which is usually spastic. There are lots of different parts in the songs, constant tempo changes and transitions. And often what happens is he approaches guitar in the way he approached the drums, right? Just to be even a competent extreme metal drummer, you have to be a virtuoso, basically. Mm-hmm. and Or you at least have to have certain technical skills just maxed out, 
Right. Uh, and so you approach guitar like that. You become an extremely prolific guitarist or proficient guitarist, right? So the classic example for this is like Sunopfer, the sort of French, I think he plays in Pest Noir, is the drummer, and it's a sort of French, it's an early chivalric black metal band. And the songs just have too many riffs. There are too many good riffs. They disintegrate because there are too many riffs. Um, and uh, it, this is kind of schizo drummer band. Um, or another example of a drummer band that does this in a more coherent, better way would be Rights of Thy De- Rights of Thy De Gringolade, where you yeah. just have really yeah. weird, intense guitar. Mm-hmm. This guy is writing. He it, he's he's not like it's not like a drummer's ideal band. It's a drummer consciously employing drums as the main instrument in the band, and making it a and and like. Uh, taking a disciplined approach to the guitar, right? The drums are the center of the music. He's not interested in doing anything flashy on guitar. He's also not remotely interested in breaking out of the paradigms of sort of hypnotic repetition-based power music, right? Mm -hmm. This is based on long repeating blocks of stuff, but he's going to use the drums to create incredible dynamism within those long blocks. It's, it's, He'll play the same riff 16 times, and it never sounds grid-written. Yes. That's in part because there's this pulsating, insistent uh, movement and play on the drums. Uh, And he's written the riffs with this in mind. And we've heard things like this at different times on the show. Mm -hmm. But the guitar is this... The guitar riffs are stripped down, and the tone... The tone is diminished in favor of the timbre. It's mostly the buzz... And it's just this shaped continuum that's being punctuated and driven by the drums. Yeah, it's just it's it, it, it's like the guitar. The drums are playing guitar. Yes, um, yes, right. You can hear that. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the the primary musical figure is delivered on the drums, and yet the guitar parts are sick. In part because, <laughs> yes, <laughs> in part because they are uh, um, disciplined and understated. And they're um, removed from the standards of heavy metal guitar. Absolutely, this is this is a good example of black. You know, like this is a good example of black metal that is not heavy metal. Yeah. Right. Um, so, well, yeah. Speaking of which, mm-hmm. let's let's get to one of my samples because so I think a primary influence to this is going to be uh, Havohe, actually, um, because. So, that makes sense. Havahe is Paul Ledney's solo project, and the drumming on this seems very clearly Paul Ledney inspired. Um, the the sort of like abrupt, constant fills, you know, coming like mm-hmm. earlier than you would expect in the bar. Um, the you know the overall kind of noisy black metal aesthetic. When I come of, earlier than I would expect in the bar, I have to go home. Yeah, usually when you come earlier, you're expected you're undisciplined, <laughs> but here it's very disciplined. Uh, um, but but I think so. I think the have oh hey here is like a, the weird section of releases between Dethrone the Son of God and Kibaten and Premaster. Once you get to Kibaten and Premaster, you get into it's it's basically like industrial music via black metal. But then there's this weird series of like demos and EPs and little seven inches and stuff where he's kind of playing around with the ideas. Um, I think that's an influence here. Shit like Purple Cloak, you know, nobody listens to Purple Cloak, but this guy does. Um, 
also mm. what's interesting is so we've listened to that really fast stuff the the other half of this record so to speak is very doomy very um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but like almost funeral doom like deliberately minimal like certain tracks are like basically torture doom tracks in a sense just like a little bit too fast um so i want to listen to one of those uh i want to listen to the intro couple minutes of enthrone my corpse to the putrefaction of time and flesh and uh well, well i that you know i've talked about drums Let's listen to this. Let's talk about guitar a little bit afterward. So obviously the centerpiece of that is the drumming, but I, I don't want to ignore the guitar work on this. So something weird that happens, and I don't know if it's just an effect of the songs changing or if there's a, a real thing going on, but it feels like the guitars get clearer as the album progresses. Um, it could just be maybe the riffs are a little bit more defined and clear. But I get the sense that this became more listenable the further on we went. Um, and here, what's really cool is this is a standout example of, okay, so we're doing we're doing the raw black thing. But what is ultimately going on in the guitars? A lot of it's like pretty traditional like US black metal stuff. Like there's a lot of kind of profanatica, kind of the doomy parts of profanatica. There's Judas Iscariot stuff littered around the record. Uh, a lot of this is just kind of straight Vaughn grinding shit. Um, I I think that's really cool. I you know it, obviously it's a noisier exercise in these ideas, but 
ultimately, if you pare this down to just the notes that are being played, a lot of this is traditional U.S. black metal from the early 90s. Well, those are much cooler reference points than what I was about to say, which is that this <laughs> sounds like a Dark Throne song. Um, this specifically, in terms of really hard tracks off Under a Funeral Boon, this also sounds a lot like, this track in particular sounds like To Walk the Infernal Fields. You see, I was going to describe this as like a retarded, a an even more retarded version of like Unholy Black Metal. You know, slowed down. Oh, that one's really fast though. When yeah. the witches ride, you know, when yeah. the demons ride the nuns. Uh, yeah, you is, slow it down. You take the most retarded Dark Throne mm-hmm. tracks and you strip them down no, to make the chords uh, clear. You know? No, but, okay, but what what that song, uh, no, To Walk the Infernal Fields is slow and ugly. And yeah. it has a profoundly slow, lurching power chord part. And then a sort of uh, lower mid-tempo strut that just does the one minor six thing. The epic dum, yeah. dum, dum. Right, and this this really moves like that. But a thing that sets this apart in part is well, a the drum performance in general. B when he does the strut riff, he's doing it in something like seven four. Yeah, um, yeah. The riff is looping on itself in a very strange way, and it works as a it works as a stomp. It has that driving Bathorian thing to it, but it's off kilter in a weird way. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, the, that you as, well, hmm? real quick, the drum performance on that sample goes without saying. That's that's yeah, just yeah. fucking awesome. The, the constant sort of like running over itself, you know, Tom mm-hmm. fills and shit. Uh, again, very Ledney inspired, but even denser and more aggressive mm. than he would do. Um, it's just it's fucking outstanding. I, I I think definitely after hearing that, it's like this is this guy is a drummer first. Yeah, yeah. You know? I I think what we're pinning down maybe is just the idea that okay, if we had to think about central reference points for this, not just for this band but for the sound we're tying it back to, if we think back to a lot of those, really that raw black sound we're talking about was in many ways American. You could find examples of yes. it from other countries. Yes. Um, there's Death Church from Japan. Um, who this reminds me of a lot, um, uh, who have a similar kind of tone, uh, note, anti-note guitar playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, like, yeah, it's, it was an American style. And so uh, it would make sense that the central influ- influences really are just, like, Dark Throne and all the bands you just mentioned. Like, yeah, because... I mean, the central thing for, like, American raw black metal in, like, late 90s, early 2000s was just Dark Throne. Just, like, doing more yeah. retarded and noisy versions of Dark Throne songs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's like you take Dark Throne plus all the Ledney bands and Vaughn, right? And you get um, you, you get the basis for this sort of thing. And those bands, one thing that those bands have in common with Dark Throne is... Or with Dark Throne at its most extreme is this kind of punkishness that doesn't sound like punk. Yeah, which is mm. which is a crucial distinction, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and part of you know that was the thing about the Scandinavian bands as well, um, in in their own way, right? It's more overt with the Americans because it's even more stripped down. Um, uh, but yeah, so um, so we want to go on to your next one. Yeah, sure. So uh, I've got a fast one, too. Um, So I would say this record actually is like 50-50 between really fast and pretty slow, doomy stuff. Um, 
But the slow, uh, also, on a real quick parenthetical, the slow Doomy stuff on this I like a lot. And in that way, it's like a lot of, you know, doing slow stuff on black metal records is kind of a lost art. And you know me, I'm often, I've become more open to lower tempo since doing mm-hmm. this show with you, but often that stuff does not land for me. Um, I really like those parts on this record. I, I would say, personally, that the slower stuff on this record is like, that's where this band lives. Oh no, I love the fast part. I, I like I like the fast stuff, but I, I like it as sort of like interrupter, like short grindy bridge tracks between these sort of like slow, ugly fucking oh. doom things. Okay, well we actually disagree about that. However, I mean I like the slow parts too. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um so but I, I wanna play my favorite um my favorite fast track on the record, which is the second to last, which is uh enhanced necromechanical in manifestation of septic blood and soil. Um this is my favorite fast track on the album. I think this is like the apex of the fast material. And here, I think you're going to hear, especially from guitar, uh, a lot more clarity in the riffs, and you're going to hear more of that Judas Iscariot meets Dark Throne, uh, but Dark Throne around like Transylvanian Hunger and Panzerfaust, like a little bit later than the Under a Funeral Moon stuff that defines a lot of this record. Uh, and of course, it's a whole track, so let's do it. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's really noisy and really extreme, but if you strip away some of the production excesses, you get something that's pretty similar to like early Judas Iscariot, like pre-Heaven and Flames, like uh, 
of Great Eternity or Thy Dying Light or something like that. Um, it's it's noisy, it's intense, but ultimately, just note for note, this is not far off of traditional USBM. And I think that's one of the things that makes this band kind of special. You know, that it's integrated the incredibly intense standards of modern raw black metal, but it hasn't forgotten to write songs. And that 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 almost feels like a little bit of a cop out because I love bands that don't write songs. You know, I I love shit that's just as outside and noisy and insane as possible. But listening to a lot of bands in this general milieu, I've always been struck by my sense has always been I like these. Like I said at the beginning, I like these sounds. I like these textures. But what are we doing with this? Again, here's the answer. We're going to make songs with it. We're going to make songs that you can remember, that have moments that you care about, that you're going to revisit. And I think that's really cool. And I think that's honestly kind of a path forward for this whole style. Yeah, I mean, well, they're, they're not... Maybe there's a nitpicking, but the, I, these aren't like... They're not songs in the way that certain black metal bands write heavy metal songs, right? Yeah, they're, yeah, no, they're, but but they're they're composed they're very pieces full, with with yes. memorable ideas. You yes, know? they're fully realized tracks. Each of them does a specific thing. There are uh, there are each of them is a each of them is a sort of a process unto itself and they're all part of a bigger process and each one has sort of um sort of meaningfully related riffs in it and shit like that yeah it's um there's nothing arbitrary about it at all um and yeah you can point to every i guess maybe what you mean is you you can point to every track and be like oh yeah it's that track Right. Yeah, which is, yeah. you know, I, I love the idea of, like, internalizing the uh, crazy kind of, like, noisy industrial stuff going on, but also incorporating that into, in a sense, more traditional songwriting. That's something a lot of those early 2000s bands did really, I think, really well um, that has been forgotten. Yeah, well, because they were, they were trying to do regular black metal, but they were poor. You know, oh, yeah. they, it was just like, okay, so I guess we're just going to do this, like, insanely harsh, white, noisy version of Dark Throne that we always wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, so now, let's go to, uh, I want to play two, like, a very quick sample, and then um, a slightly longer one, just to show... Uh, you know, we were just talking about how, I guess, that you know, your point segues really nicely because uh, these are all sort of, this one funny thing about this record, right? There's always a trollish quality to music like this, right? Yeah. And one aspect of it is, is it repeatedly signals to the listener that it might be over and then it isn't. Um, the, if someone made music, most bands making music this harsh today would keep the record at 25 minutes. Right. Um, this is a fully realized 41 minute album. Right. It's just like, hey, I heard you like raw black metal. I hope you do, bud. Um, <laughs> and it, it, it's like, yeah, you're still you're still down. Right. OK, great. We've got three more tracks. Um, <laughs> and uh, 
one way it makes that not just grueling, right? You know, not just like listening to Panzer Division Marduk three times in a row. Is, although to come to think of it, I've probably done that. Um, but one, <laughs> one way it makes one way it makes that not grueling, right? Is that the tracks are a very varying length, right? Like, um, you know, we've got much longer tracks, we've got much shorter tracks. They're paced in an interesting way, and then even riff placement works in a uh, riff placement exists in structures that go beyond the individual track. So just like before I played two tracks that sort of work as one track, in this case there's riff stuff that happens in one that's picked up again um, uh, in... Where was this? It's um, Sleep of Esoteric... Hang on, I'm looking at this fucking... Um, <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I did. Okay, so on track seven, it's a slash track, so there are two parts to it. And the second part of track seven is Sleep of Esoteric Preservation. So I'm going to sample a very little bit of that. Um, and then um, I want to sample something, some stuff from the very last track, track 10. And shit that he gestures to on track seven comes back on track 10 in an interesting and sophisticated way. So we're just going to listen to the very end of Sleep of Esoteric Preservation. Hey, did you hear that? Yeah, sounded it was pretty kind cool. Kind of an kind of an epic riff. Yeah, little bit. Um, too bad it immediately gets pulverized by the following track. <laughs> um, right. Uh, and so you know, um, right. Uh, I think what I wrote in my notes is snuffed into smoke by bubonic hyperblasts. Um, <laughs> uh, but then. You know, we get more tracks of, you know, two more tracks of deafening noise, including the one that uh, Death Metal Guy just sampled. Um, and then we get into the last track, Enhanced Necromechanical in Manifest. Nope, that wait, was wait, mine. Wait, wait, sorry, no, that was yours. <laughs> Fuck, these song titles are confusing. Sulfurized gore and petrifaction and shroud my tomb as the burning twilight coalesces into waning abyss. Okay, so we get to that one. Um, and, uh... Um, you're going to hear sort of a, a callback to that riff in a way.
Dude, that fucking ending riff on your sample, mm-hmm. that big bend riff, yep. is like the that's the climax of the record. That is so fucking sick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's so again, right? So earlier, right at the end of that other track, you heard this sort of two chord riff that had some of that sort of epic Dorian tonality to it. Here, right, this big just. Two really dense chords, just swooping, bending up from one to the other. I think that's just a minor sixth kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's a classic, uh, sinister, epic uh, Norse or Swedish type black metal riff, right? It's um, certainly a bit like Transylvanian Hunger or kind of Dark Funeral, or really like moments on. There are a couple moments on that Nidden record um, mm-hmm. on Imperium where they. Uh, there's some really just solemn noble parts where they'll just hit these two chords that have that are just kind of melancholy and powerful and just then go back into the sort of strange dissonant stuff um uh and you know so there's a kind of convention songwriting these days uh where if you're a, a band that's too tasteful to constantly do uh big triumph quote unquote triumphant riffs right which is a good thing right particularly if you're a band doing anything that has a kind of uh classic norwegian or swedish vibe to it or anything like that right you pull out the big epic riff at the end right there's a a certain kind of indulgent um elaborate uh maybe dorian scale riff that you're saving to the end of the album and then everyone gets in like oh ha ha yeah Right, or you save the the song that really sounds like Bathory or Blasherk Mighty Raven Dark for the end of the record, right? Um, this band sort of uh, plays on that expectation, right? You you know you, you hear that little hint of a riff like this earlier in the song, and then just boom, gone, right? And by the end of the record, you think, okay, you know, I'm not entitled to. You, you know, you might be expecting some sort of big climactic riff, but by the end, you're not, you're like, I'm not entitled to that, right? <laughs> Even the expectation of that has been completely pummeled away from you, right? It's just like, I hope you like raw black metal, bro. Um, and then finally, they whip this out, and then you just get two bars of it, and it disappears, like the earlier riff, and then it just comes back as this, you know, hypnotically repeated thing that rolls forever, and it's just two chords and they have a ton of internal dissonance within both of them themselves they're not like nice pretty sounding chords but in the context of a record this uh um this disciplined right just that change sounds massive and it it pops like the crazy train riff
All right, we are back after an extended break talking about the politics of house parties with uh, something that's kind of a big record, I guess, in a sense. It's the second pharmacist full length entitled Flourishing Extremities on Unspoiled Mental Grounds. Uh, released now on Bizarre Lepers Productions, uh, the greatest purveyors of everything ugly and grindy out there. So, uh, Pharmacist is uh, kind of an interesting band. Uh, it's a two-piece. Uh, we got one guy who is the uh, kind of guitarist, bassist, vocalist, you know, the everything else guy. Uh, originally from Ukraine, located in uh, Japan for several years now, mm. and uh, a drummer, in theory, you know, maybe we'll talk about that, uh, <laughs> from Japan. Um, so uh, Pharmacists released their first full length a couple years back, um, and it immediately got some attention. Um, honestly, like, Black Metal Guy, when's the last time you heard of a sort of, you know, quote-unquote gore grind band having any sort of clout or interest outside of that little scene. Oh, God. Um, gore grind having any influence? Um, I'm really drawing a blank here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a, it's been a long time. I I think even me as a big gore grind guy, maybe it was uh, Jigai. Um, I've heard the name Jigai. I mean, I've heard of a bunch of gore grind bands just because I'm fucking. I mean, people outside gore grind probably like. Oh well, this but this is ancient, right? Shit like Agathocles, people know, right? Or um, but that's old. That's a canonical band. Yeah, um, Agathocles has just been. F- around for like 30 plus there are those now. oh yeah. there are those ohio kind of midwestern bong rip gore grind bands that were pretty popular for a minute yeah there's that there's like but, some of the west coast stuff but i know. only know that because i like you know used to follow the punk scene right so it's, yeah there's there's are like mostly like punk guys doing gore yeah, grind. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so yeah that's those are the only ones i could name i mean gore grind band it really is pretty hermetic, huh? I mean, you know, Wormrot had a gore grind name, but the music was not at all. Yeah, it's just straight grindcore, like old mm-hmm. school style. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a long time since anything quote unquote gore grind really made a splash. Pharma- yeah, fans, uh, let yeah. us know in the comments. Yeah, uh, yeah. pharmacist did with their first record. This new record, uh, flourishing extremities is not really a gore grind record. I I get the lineage it's coming from, but really what this is is a very polished, very good uh very direct and smart death metal record. Um so I listened to the first pharmacist record when it came out. Um I liked it, but it wasn't really the style that I was really looking for, although it had a lot of uh, enthusiasm and backing behind it just in the metal scene. But it seemed to me that a lot of people that were really into it were guys that were outside of Gorgrind saying, oh, well, this is a Gorgrind record that I like. Well, that's because it has influences from a lot of stuff that's a lot more palatable, Uh, which is not to insult this uh, because this is very good music 
Like, uh, I, I think this is a wonderful record and, uh, I'm just glad to see this sort of gory style of death metal coming back on the map. I think we, we talked about that a little bit um, when we covered the uh, 200 stab wounds record last mm-hmm, year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of, you know, it sounds absurd, but oh, what about death metal being about like gore and murder again? <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, and he's, they're doing brutal death vocals, right? And song, certain kinds of aspects of that in the song structures, right? Yeah, it's like what if what what if death metal and grind were actually about like ugly, gory stuff again? Because you know you think of it as like essential to the style, but it's actually been a while since bands like that have been kind of primary in the scene. So I thought it was cool to hear this. This is a really interesting record. We'll get into it more, but uh, black metal guy, what do you think about this one? Man, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, my immediate question for you was, this is gore grind? Um, uh, I mean, that, that's a conversation unto itself. <laughs> yeah, as far as first impressions, this is a very entertaining album. Um, I listened to it yesterday, which was a very sunny day, um, and today, which was not. It lands better on the sunny day. Um, it's a sunny record. Yeah. It's a sunny. It's this is yeah. Um, this is a good times record. It's a good times record. It it really is like what I said to you is like, you know, usually it's an insult if you say something should be on nuclear blast or relapse, but this like should be on nuclear blast or relapse. Like it's yeah. just it has an incredibly polished sound, but it's the kind of thing that reminds you why so many people are drawn to kind of like big chunky mids. Mm-hmm. Very clean, big, chunky, digitally produced mids. They just sound really good here. Um, they, uh, um, it's, you know, it's got fantastic musicianship, which we'll get into. And the songs are, it's like really good mainstream extreme metal because it's still extreme metal. These aren't really hook driven songs. They have very, they have some catchy riffs on every track, but they're not, they kind of have these, well, Oh, this is, I mean, this is a big thing, right? This, this is, they're seven-minute songs for the most part, yeah, right? And they have these kind of um, winding, uh, highly sort of riff-sequence-based song structures. Uh, um, and um, so it really isn't structured like fun, heavy metal. It's just very accessible because of how it's produced and... Um, and because of a certain kind of, um, and because of certain qualities in the riffs, which we'll get into, um, uh, it's also, you know, um, other question for you. I mean, so for me, I've like literally never listened to Carcass, mm-hmm. right? That's, um, and they're one of those bands that torpedoed their legacy so thoroughly that I wasn't even interested in going back to the early stuff. Um, just didn't seem like my kind of thing. Uh, um, what I assume this sounds like Carcass, right? Because I can hear that this is very melodic, kind of heavy metal-y stuff that has certainly has some gory undertones and parts and some grindy parts. Um, I assume this sounds like Carcass. Tell me more about that. Uh, so, Carcass is a band that's very hard to pin down. Um, there's been so many different eras and mm-hmm. so many different ideas expressed by their music. <laughs> Carcass is a, a very weird band to ask me about because it's like the band that I respect the most that I never listen to. 
basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first two Carcass records are basically the blueprint for Gore Grind. Then you've got Necroticism, the third record, uh, which is a wonderful sort of grind-tinged death metal record. And then you have Heartwork, which is possibly one of the blueprints for melodic death metal. Uh, Swan Song, wonderful sort of like death and roll, uh, melodic death and roll record. And then Disappear for a while, Come Back with Surgical Steel and following records, uh, which is sort of a... uh, a halfway point between necroticism and heart work. So death metal, little bits of grind, little bit of death and roll, very melodic tinge throughout it. Um, pharmacist sounds like newer carcass. Um, you've got a lot of those melodic elements, a lot of straight death metal stuff, and a little bit of like old school gore grind tucked away in fits and starts. But ultimately, this is a pretty straight-ahead death metal record. Um, But it's also... What I think is cool is that it's a death metal record in a style that is basically forgotten now. So, can can I raise a thing there? Another sort of question thing. Uh, So, a thing that... Yes, it's definitely basically forgotten, right? This does not sound like any of the major strains of death metal these days. Um, it has a little bit in common with the Maggot Stomp stuff, which yeah. I think maybe you'll bring up at a certain point, but it's like common DNA. Um, it, uh, what it, so aside from Carcass, what it, like, I assume this is kind of like the whole Earache family of bands with grind bands becoming more like death metal. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it reminds me of is a, YouTube, a documentary I saw on YouTube Um years ago and it was called like grind core or something Docu- grind core documentary oh it, you're talking about that you oh man you're talking about like the late 90s earache documentary no i think this is i, I think it's actually grind core special issue interview with earache records owner digby pearson jennifer grubb members of the following bands 1991 um, yeah, this is free on YouTube. You can look it up. There's some good conversations with these bands. Hmm. But okay. if anything, I'm of a what it, yeah, yeah, they talk to like guys from Napalm Death, Morbid Angel, Nocturnal, Paradise Lost, Prophecy of Doom, Godflesh, Cerebral Fix, Sonic Violence, Bolt Thrower. No, no, that's, that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. we're thinking of the yeah. same one. So the thing is, you may have noticed, almost none of the bands I just listed are grind bands, at least by conventional standards, by what we think of it now. Yeah. But, but yeah. back in the 90s, there was some confusion about that. And um, not confusion, right? They just didn't neatly distinguish between these things yet. A yeah, of, yeah. No, that, was, of, that was interesting. Um, a lot. You could almost call this whole documentary post-crust or something. You know, like like former crust bands playing more extreme music. A lot of it, aside from Nocturnus and Morbid Angel. I remember. Um, I remember watching this documentary on old school Netflix, where you had to order the DVDs. That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. So this has been on YouTube for a while. So uh, it's so basically what you can see of it is they do not neatly distinguish between death metal and grind. If anything, I think there may have been sort of a cultural politics to it, a branding thing. Because if you look, bands from the punk scene didn't want to be called death metal. 
Like, you know, that there's that hilarious yeah. axe grinder thing where they say, not death metal, peace metal. And, like, Winter, <laughs> Winter in their liner notes has, like, a rant about how they're not a death metal band. Um, so it may have been some kind of branding thing as well. But, like, there's this entire family of bands who today we think sound... We put silo off in different genres who are all being related to this grindcore phenomenon back in 91. And so this record seems to, Pharmacist seems to pull on that a lot. Yeah, I think so. And with that, let's uh, let's listen to a sample. So we're not just talking amongst ourselves forever. <laughs> are we just going in? Right. Oh, sorry. I for some reason I assumed you were going to go to a sample, but um, let's nah, go to mine. Then. You got the first. one. Okay, so I've I've got one from the first track. Um, I went so at the beginning we got some blasts. We've got some um, uh, we've got some gargling vocals. Uh, maybe kind of what you would expect so far. Uh, and then about um, a minute and twenty five into accelerating separation, you start to get parts where you're like, oh, this isn't normal death metal. <laughs> or as least as we've come to know it. This is, uh, we talk a lot on this show about um, what people imagine who don't listen to metal when they hear the term death metal. This is like the good version of that. You know, this is like the, the kinder version of that. Yeah. I mean, so listening to that, we would say that's an industrial metal riff or a groove riff. Um, it sounds like Sepultura, but back in the day when people, when Chaos AD came out, a lot of people sort of thought of that as a death metal record, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, mm. it's interesting. Um, I mean, this, it, like, if, like it's, it's hard to understate how much of a no, no, that particular, like, uh, 
you know, kind of disco industrial beat is in a death metal context these days. And that's something that links it to the kind of um, no taboos spirit of Gorgrind. Yeah, and it's also like that would come directly from Carcass around that mm-hmm. era I'm talking about. Necrosism, hard work. Um, like they really kind of cast off the shackles. Uh, I'm not going to say that every decision they made was great. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're excellent records. I, I, I'm not going to like sit here and be like, oh, no, Carcass wasn't that good. No, they actually were that good. It's not my style a lot of the time, but it's objectively excellent. Um, and a lot of this is derived off of those ideas. It, but instead of them being like, you know, shaking off kind of an idea of death metal, this is using that as a platform to build off of. Um, like some of these like almost boogie rock things happening. Like th- there's this wonderful uh, section, like like a third of the way through that sample, where uh, you're getting into a riff that's doing like a, a syncopated sort of upstroke variation, which is like a, a crazy, like totally anti-heavy metal thing to do. Like, it's almost like a a first Iron Maiden record thing to do. But a lot of this record is defined by the things outside of death metal that it's accessing, right? Oh, King Crimson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a ton of prog. There's a ton of prog. Yeah, who knows if it's actually King Crimson, but the basic interval choices for the guitar. He's using this kind of, like, I don't know how to describe it other than kind of, like, open... uh, whole step open whole step guitar kind of stuff sometimes it sounds kind of pentatonic sometimes it sounds a little more major or minor but he's really emphasizing these kinds of wide intervals in um sort of unexpected ways right and it it that and even the rhythm like that's a really king crimson kind of thing to do yeah it's a this whole record has a uh Sort of I feel pro- like, uh, but, sorry, you go. Oh, no, I was just going to say, this whole record has a sort of prog inflection. Because, uh, you know, one of the ideas that I had listening to this was, this feels like a, uh, a guy who has classical training behind him, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this doesn't feel like just a totally homegrown, self-taught guitarist in the metal scene. This guy has, like, little details of, like, neoclassical and jazz and blues that I don't think you would typically hear. Um, But he's incorporating it really well into the whole. You have, I mean, you know, another daring thing, right? You You do vocals for a minute, right? Vocals and aggressive blasting for a minute. And then just for two minutes, the vocals drop out. And you're trading between, like, verboten groove riffs and guitar solos for two minutes. Oh, well, that, well, that was that was actually something I thought of listening to this record, which is like, was this originally supposed to just be instrumental? Like mm. the vo- the vocals are solid, but they're kind of in the background. They're not taking up a lot of time on this record. I think they're, in a sense, a little bit of an afterthought. I think this is basically, if this was an instrumental record, it would not be much different than how it is now. Yeah, let's see. It's um yeah, I get the sense maybe the vocals were uh I think the vocals were outsourced to a dude. 
on the final song they were, I think it's mostly oh. the main guy. Uh, I see. Yeah. But, but it's I, definitely not. I don't the get the sense that uh, it's primary. Yeah. No, it's yeah. Um, you know, you got to have some on because it's an extreme music. I, I appreciate that there are vocals there, you know, like yeah. it's good. Yeah. You got to have some parts to rage to, but, um, uh, but you know, that's another thing with the record. The vocals are, the vocals are good, but they sound more like a black metal vocal, if anything. And, uh, well, you it's, know, it's, it's well, Bill Steer's vocals on necroticism and hard work. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, so point being, if there's a, I mean, this is early in the review to say it, but if there's a limitation to this record, right, it's that it is simply just very contained and punchy, right? It's all coloring within the lines. And for the gore, I think, you know, we'd probably both like this a bit better if it more activated the gore grind legacy a bit more. And one way to do that would be you could just keep all the punchy, polished guitar and just put more demented, gory vocals on it. And that oh, would that would it, be great. Yeah, that would give it the crazy it needs. It's not. This is a this is a very like wild record in some sense. It's very no holds barred. It's very like, um, it's adventurous. It's unpredictable, and it's often funny in like a not yeah. in a la- not in a lame way. In like a, you know, not in an unintentional way. Um. He's he's uh, clearly these guys are having great fun with this yes, music. Yeah, so it's so it's all of that, but it could use a little bit of like over the top crazy, a little bit of Gonzo. I agree. Yeah, no, it's like it, it, I mean, it, I didn't want to say that because that's like a very kind of personal taste thing. You know, it, I'll I'll give it up up front. It's like Okay, for like gore centered stuff, especially gore grind, which this is not, but it's accessing the legacy of that, whatever. Um, I like my gore grind very unmusical, very harsh and weird. But uh, the question is, what is what are these guys trying to access? You know, are, are, are you know, listening to the first pharmacist record, it's like. Okay, so we're doing a a sort of like old school gore grind meets like mid era carcass thing. Okay, that's a, a fair kind of starting point for a band like this. And then they're going in this direction that is, you know, bringing in more melodic ideas. Uh, so what's the the ultimate idea of this? I think, of course, because of my opinions, you know, we should keep shit weirder. You know, I I think you agree with that. But uh, ultimately, you know, it's like, what's the destiny of the band? Well, it's it's hard to tell. Um, But uh, real quick, let me let me do a sample. Um, So Necromorph. This is an outstanding track as a whole. Mm But I want to listen to the ending of this song, the last couple minutes. Um, And I want to say how many cool things can happen in two minutes. This will tell you all of it.
so yeah, I, I, this is such a fascinating sample to me because, okay, so we got basically a two minute sample and, uh, the most essential parts of it are bridges between riffs. Um, the riffs themselves are excellent, of course, but ultimately, what do you remember? Shit like the uh, the speed up toward the end, you know, the introduction of the riff and then the big tempo pickup, you know, uh, the they do one more rep when they crank the tempo and then they're into the thrash riff. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, and that's really smart because the beginning of the song, they play that kind of death groove riff, riff a lot. Here they reprise it for just two bars. Yeah, no, it's it's really there's really sophisticated songwriting stuff going on throughout this record, uh, it, but it's all tucked away in the bridges. Like if you just listen riff by riff, this is a very straightforward record. But mm-hmm. listening to the ways riffs transition into each other with this brilliant kind of motivic riff writing, totally transforms the record. Like this is such a subtly smart album in the way that it's written. This is, you know, like if you, if you're a smart guy who's classically trained and you happen to be listening to a low rent podcast like this, listen to this album. You're going to have a ton to dig out. You know? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, Oh, you know, the other thing I was saying during that sample was, that you could play this for a Metallica dad. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's part of its that's part of its that's part of the like the, oh this is what normal people think death metal sounds like. I could, I could like, play this for my dad and he'd be like, "Dude, how do you play this on guitar? This is cool." You know? Yeah. Yeah, you have the and then you got the like the fast part on the song. That that the palm muted fast part, right? Could be on Harmony Corruption. It could also just be on Master of Puppets. Yeah, um, yeah, it definitely it, could. I didn't um, even think about the Metallica thing until you said it. It's like, dude, this is totally like Metallicable. You, you know? know, that's one of the things. It's like there are some Slayerisms on this, especially on the uh, the second track, Corpus Sonica, but they're all kind of mutated into like King Crimson Prague intervals. Mm, yeah. And it it might be that the primary this might be an interesting and rare case of extreme metal where the primary thrash reference point is Metallica rather than Slayer. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, there's there, cause uh, there's solos all over this record, but they're basically devoid of like Carrie King isms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah, like, um, although mercifully better than what's the fucking, what's, what's the Metallica guy, Keith Kirk Hammett. Yeah. yeah. Kirk Hammett's <laughs> all um, um, yeah, so um, that segues pretty well into my next sample, which is uh, it's from the beginning of The Great Contractor, which is a great song title. Um, I think it would be The Great Contractor, like contracting oh, great, a disease. Oh, or, or like or like a sort of contracting kind of like uh, uh, orifice. Um, <laughs> Either way. So yeah, make it more uh, medical. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so, well, either way, I am contractually obliged to sample the part with the big high on fire riff. (laughs) 
I was going to talk about the complex structures there, and uh, guess what? I lost track of it and couldn't even remember where I meant to stop the sample. Um, <laughs> so, but the basic thing, the first thing I wanted to point out, right, <clears throat> is, you know, um, right, the song is structured around this um, big sort of... Uh, big chugging kind of really does sound like a high-on-fire riff. Um um, he does that four times, and then he has a B riff, right? Which is this more sort of percussive mid-tempo chug thing, right? Um, and that is also very high on fire. And he does, so we get a 4A, 4B. And in that B, even just in that B section... Each variation of the riff is different in the drumming and in the inflection of the chug. Yeah. Then we go back to the A, and when we're back to the A, you heard me talk saying it on air. The the uh, you know the the lead starts to get more act. Oh, the vocals. Yeah, there are. There's, there's more action in the vocals and lead there, um, so it's harder to hear. But the the A riff changes when it comes back, and then and it gets sort of like uh, more dark intervals in there <clears throat> and then it um less bluesy and then it uh they keep the basic melodic figure of the that riff but i think to a key change or something and they just go into a huge sprawling guitar solo and when when they drop out of the solo uh they're back at the b riff right it's like you setting up an a Four of A, four of B, four of A, guitar solo based on A, whoa, back to the B riff. Yeah. Um, which is uh, smart and economical. Uh, th these aren't like, these songs don't have like tons of parts. And they're not, you know, seven minutes is long for gory stuff. But it's it's not, you know, it's not even black metal long, right? Um, or not necessarily. Uh but they are, um, they get a lot of mileage. All sorts of subtle structural variations happening within the format of very direct, uh, very direct riff-oriented songs. Yeah, uh, it's uh... also that solo at the end fucking sh killed. Well, black metal guy. Speaking of solos, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you actually informed me that uh, Andrew Lee. Uh, from God knows how many bands was involved uh, doing uh, lead guitar on this, right? Yeah, chiefly uh, ripped to shreds, but he's also played on the Azath record we reviewed. Uh, 
back collaborates at, a lot with Brandon Corsair. Um, like first ten episodes, we covered that. Uh, maybe first record? two episodes. Like it was very early. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So uh, it, it's kind of hard to tell. Like on Metal Archives and Bandcamp, it has him as like solo guitars. So I don't know if he does all the solos or just some. It doesn't really matter, uh, because the uh, the solos on this record are pretty fucking remarkable, really. Um, they're a primary part of this music, um, and as you know, I, I, I'm not a big solo guy, but goddamn if the solos on this record aren't outstanding. So... I want to go yeah, to. I'm, I'm not a big solo guy either. You know, if anything, yeah, I, yeah. I, if anything, I'm a v- more averse to solos than you. <laughs> is, I mean, I even had like in that song where he just breaks out into the really proggy solo first. It's like I should hate that, but he pulls it off. Yeah, exactly. So I want to go to the title track of uh, "Flourishing Extremities on Unspoiled Mental Grounds," and uh, all the riffs on this are great. You know, the the beats, the whole vibe of it is excellent, but what really puts it together is two solos in this sample here, and uh, this is, this is phenomenal. Those fucking Dude. solos, so. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell based on the uh, promo material if that was Andrew or the main guy behind this band, but either way, like, the way that 
you know, I, 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 I'm so excited about the way it interacts with the riff mm-hmm. under it. Yeah. Uh, Cause the it's like, it, it's, it it's really like a good, yeah, it's like, it's a complex riff under it, which is where I was, I was saying uh, in the notes, it's like, it says solo guitars by Andrew Lee. He did all of them. <clears throat> did he do? Well, it's like, uh, I mean, that's There's some ambiguity uh, there, I guess. Yeah. Maybe yeah. It's kind of ambiguous. Too, um, so, uh, you know, whoever's doing it, um, Andrew Lee, well, Andrew Lee, we already know is an excellent guitarist. The main guy behind this band, um, we know is an excellent guitarist based off his riffing. So let's say we don't know. Well, either way, the solos on this record are outstanding. And, uh, so something you were talking about, you know, the, uh, the way the solos interact with the riffs under them, that gives me a lot yep. of uh, John Levis here, which is the uh, the original lead guitarist for Cryptopsy. Um, the way um, he would do solos, and usually there would be a new riff introduced underneath oh, them. Yeah, yeah, you've talked about this. <clears throat> yeah, that's something that happens on this sample here. That riff underneath these solos, I think, is a whole new riff for this song. Um, And that's amazing because it gives it a whole new sort of melodic dimension to operate within. And, uh, yeah, it's it's amazing what an effect that has. Counterpoint playing between the solo and the riff. The riff is high dent. Like, it's not like a good rhythm riff either. It's like a very, uh, it's, it's like those are, there are several thematically related riffs happening there, and they're like complex and melodic, right? There are like lots of notes in them, even though they're chug riffs. Um, and, uh, they're, they're kind of in, it's like dense, um, dense high movement riffing. And that is interwoven with the solo, which I imagine is very difficult to do. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, um, <clears throat> man, to be able to dovetail that stuff together yeah. so well. Like, it, they're some of the best, it's not, like, it's some of the best riffs on the album they saved for the solo. Uh, 